Hey everyone, welcome to Tetsuo Tells a Story. I'm Tetsuo. This episode is part of the Scary Stories by U.S. States. I would like to add that this episode is a little special. Since YouTube has informed me that roughly 25% of my viewers are from California. So this one is for you, those who live in California. If you missed the older episodes, click on the eye icon on the top right of the video or in the description below. I would love to see this channel grow. So if you could hit that subscribe button and share my videos with family and friends, we can grow together. Now, time to loosen up and turn on your nightlights. Please enjoy this episode titled, True Scary Stories from California. Story 1 The following is a very true experience. I've never actually wrote this down before, and I don't know if anyone has experienced this too. This happened between 1989 and 1990, and I was about the age of 4 years old. To this day, I still get chills thinking about it, and I wonder if in some way it changed me. My parents had a house in the Inland Empire of Southern California, and at that time, my brother hadn't been born yet, so I was the only child. To give you a layout, my parents' house was a two-story house located in a cul-de-sac. On the bottom floor, there were two bedrooms, a bathroom and the living room, plus the kitchen. The second floor was just the master bedroom and with a bathroom. All you could see from the street was the garage and one of the bedroom windows on the bottom floor and the window to my mom's bathroom on the second floor. To get to the front door, you had to walk along the cement pathway that ran along the side of the house. You had to pass the first bedroom that you can see from the street, then pass the bathroom window and then to another bedroom window. Then you should be at the front door. The backyard was beyond that point. My bedroom at the time was the bedroom right next to the front door. Now, for some reason, my blinds were not completely down to the bottom of the window. There was about a 6 inch gap with nothing covering it. I was pretty young so I didn't really care much about it. The bed was in the middle of the wall across my bedroom door, and to the left was the window. According to my mom, this all happened right before midnight. My mom was asleep in her room upstairs, and my dad was a policeman that worked nights in another city. I was fast asleep in my room, and out of nowhere, I suddenly woke up, looking at the ceiling. I don't know what woke me, or if I just popped awake on my own. After my eyes adjusted to the nightlights of my bedroom, I sat up and started looking around my room. All of a sudden, something caught my eye at the window, in between the gap. First, I thought it was a street light reflecting on the window, but I knew for a fact there was only one street light, 
and what I was looking at was two obvious glowing spots that were spaced apart as if it was on someone's face. Then I thought, is that a cat looking at me? And yes, I vividly remember thinking these things, trying to debunk this at 4 years old. I had remembered that my cat Chelsea's eyes would also reflect at night, but this, this looked way different than that. The cat's eye was almost different in color when reflecting. These were two very solid, bright, white eyes glowing at me, looking straight right at me. I just stared at them, frozen stiff, trying to make sense of what I'm seeing. I couldn't see a face at all. The eyes were just so bright, nothing else stood out. That void or face around the eyes looked blacker than the night. I thought again. Well, if this is a cat, how could a cat be big like a person? And why would a cat stand up to stare into my bedroom? The curiosity got the best of me, and I went for it. I flipped my covers turned my little four-year-old body towards the window, and I put my feet on the floor. This is the moment the creepiest thing happened, and it will forever be burned into my brain. I got off the bed and got on my knees to get a closer look at this so-called cat. At this moment, this faceless pair of glowing white eyes begins to slowly and steadily tilt to the side. The eyes locked right onto me, not even blinking once. The feeling of dread and fear shot through my body, completely terrified, and put it down the hallway, through the living room, up the stairs to tell my mom. Although I was going as fast as I could, I felt like it took forever. When I got to my mom, I was so upset I couldn't get any words out. Tears were running down my face, and my mom was becoming seriously concerned at this point. She was able to calm me down just enough for me to get out the words. There, there are white eyes looking at me through my window on the bottom, stuttering and crying hard. Are you sure? My mom asked. I cried out, yes. She didn't even go down to look. She just called the cops. I don't remember the time it took for them to arrive or what they said because I finally fell asleep in my mom's bed. I do remember faintly waking up to a knock on the door and my mom going to open it. The cop speaks to her and I hear her say, Okay, thank you, good night. And she shuts the door. Did they find it, mommy? I asked, half asleep. No, honey. He said they couldn't find anyone. My mom told me softly. It's okay now. Try to go back to sleep. It's safe to say the next day. My whole window was covered. Fast forward some years. I'm in middle school now. Every now and then, I would think about that night. Sometimes I wondered if that moment was real. If those eyes were really there, those unforgettable white eyes. One day, a random thought came up, and I asked my mom if she remembered that night.
She tells me, yes, of course. Why? I don't know. I'm just wondering, I guess. I said. Then my mom proceeds to tell me. Well, I never told you this, but when the deputy came that night, he told me that they made it a priority to get out of our house as soon as they could, because not very long before I called 911, they received another call from someone else reporting that someone was looking through their window too in our very same neighborhood. Hearing that sent chills down my spine. And to this day, I wonder who, or whatever it was, was looking at me that night. Story two. In the outskirts of Fresno, California, in a small town of Freent, lies a body of water called Milton Lake. This lake is connected by rivers and streams, identified as the San Joaquin River. As this river flows south, it passes through another nearby lake called Lost Lake. Milton Lake is known to be man-built as a reservoir, and also rumored to be constructed over an old cemetery. On the other hand, Lost Lake has. Numerous rumors of just about anything creepy. Lost Lake has many, many ghost stories, way too many. That is, if anyone has lived in the Fresno area at one point or another, they're bound to hear some of those stories. Though I am not personally involved in the story that I'm about to tell, this true event occurred. Back in the early 90s, and it happened to friends of a sibling of mine. A group of around 10 friends, which consisted of teenage boys and girls, went out to Lost Lake during one summer night to hang out. This was a normal hangout routine, and back in those days, drugs and alcohol weren't really a big issue for teenage boys and girls. They were just all there to hang out. Talk and couples would spend time together. They all stayed close to each other, especially because everyone knew of the lake's reputation. However, as it got close to midnight, a young Hmong lady came towards the group from the direction of the lake. She was in a white gown. She was very pretty looking, and about a couple or few dozen feet away. In a very sweet voice, she asked the group of kids if they have seen her boyfriend, Jimmy. Some of the boys responded by telling her that they don't know a Jimmy. As the lady got closer, she again explained that she was looking for her boyfriend, Jimmy, who abandoned her and left her at the lake. As she got up closer to the group, it became apparent. That her face suddenly looks all rotten, like she had sat at the bottom of the lake for quite some time. The entire group of kids ran into the car, and quickly left. Each of these teenage kids' family had to hire a shaman to come and call their spirits home, 
as it was rumored that each of these kids either got sick or emotionally distressed right after the event. A shaman explains to one of the family that this young lady that they saw is one of the drowned victims at Lost Lake. She and her boyfriend went there to swim and she got pulled in by a dragon. Her body was never found. There are still stories today that if you go to Lost Lake at night, you can still hear the name Jimmy whispered through the wind and throughout the night. Story 3 When I was 12, my family moved into a small town called Atwater, just north of Merced. We moved into an old house, which was one of the original houses built when Atwater first became a town. Our neighbor was a very old man who lived by himself and his dog. The old man always kept to himself, so we never knew his name. My brother and I just called him the old man. One thing we noticed about the old man was that his place was very well taken care of for an old man who only had one arm. His arm was amputated above the elbow and we only saw him come out usually back and forth between his house and his detached garage and the yard. We never saw him clean the yard or anything but his place was really clean. One day my brother and I were playing frisbee in the backyard when we accidentally threw our frisbee into his yard. My brother was too afraid to go ask the old man so I decided to go and knock on the door and ask if the old man can get the frisbee for us. When I opened the gate to the old man's yard, I felt a cold breeze blow from the front door, which was slightly opened. I hesitated for a few seconds and overcame my fears. I walked up to the door and knocked on the screen door. There was no answer. I rang the doorbell and no one came. I looked inside and didn't see anything. I thought it was kind of unusual because normally when we were out front, the dog would bark like crazy. I looked over to our front yard and from the old man's porch and shrugged my shoulder and shook my head at my brother, letting him know that no one is home. He pointed his finger towards the backyard and said something to the effect of, just get the frisbee. I was kind of scared, but decided to walk down the driveway towards the backyard anyways. I walked past the detached garage in the back and picked up our frisbee. And as I turned around, I felt the same cold breeze that came from the house. But this time, it was followed by a warm, slow breath exhaled into my ear. I turned around and started running down the driveway towards the front gate. And as I did, I approached the kitchen window and I can hear the old man whistling. So I ducked and pressed my back against the wall. I tried to walk underneath the window out of his view. But as I was doing it, it finally hit me 
how the heck is he washing the dishes with just one hand? So I stopped and decided to peek in to see how. I slowly peeked from the corner and at first I just saw his face, old and wrinkly. I quickly dug down again because I was afraid he might see me. I was so scared, but something inside of me kept telling me to go up and look again. This time, I stood up all the way up and I looked inside. And what I saw changed my life forever. The old man wasn't washing the dishes. He was just standing there, looking into the sink, whistling. From beneath his armpits were two bluish-gray arms, doing the dishes while he watched. The old man looked at me and pressed his index finger against his lips, smiled, and shook his head at me. At this very moment, I lost all sense of hearing and went numb. I just turned around and walked out of the yard. I never told my brother what I saw, but from that day on, the old man would smile at me every time we walked by his yard. Story 4 Bear with me as I tell my creepy experience living in Marysville, a very small town which I never thought of much other than it being a very old part of Yuba City. My husband and I live with my in-laws behind Linda Elementary School. One day, I was home alone while everyone was at work and the younger siblings were at school. I usually like to prep dinner around 2 p.m. and just wait until everyone gets home by 5 p.m. That day, while I was in the kitchen prepping, I heard footsteps ahead of me. It sounded like it came from the hallway towards my in-law and my sister-in-law's bedrooms. I thought to myself, hmm, did my sister-in-law not go to school today? A couple of minutes later, as I was cooking, I could feel like someone was standing behind me because I felt something hairy brush against my legs. I got so spooked that when I went to sit down to eat, I had to watch Rachel Ray until whoever came home so I wouldn't be alone. A couple of hours later, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law came home and I said nothing to them, but I was just scared. I brushed off this incident. Months went by and one early morning, my husband left for work. We forgot to close our window that night, so when morning came, I was half asleep when some cats outside my window was meowing. As I laid on my bed, I just listened, and all of a sudden, the cat stopped meowing, and a little boy, I assumed, because it sounded like a boy, said, Daddy? I know that this can't be our neighbor next door because they're Latino and spoke very limited English. I finally ran out and had the courage to tell my mother-in-law what I've heard, but
but she gave me a are you crazy face, so I brushed it off. Years went by, and I had my daughter. One night, I was putting my baby to sleep, and of course, as every mom does, you always slowly turn the doorknob quietly when you leave the bedroom, so the baby could sleep peacefully. As I left the bedroom, I started washing bottles, and after that, I started cleaning the living room and vacuuming. After I finished those chores, the house was sparkling clean and I was a happy mama. But I wanted to go check on my baby just to make sure that she was doing okay. As I walked towards our bedroom to open the door, the doorknob was locked. I asked my husband if he accidentally locked the door and he said that he's been out in the living room the entire time. My heart started beating fast because I knew that the whole family was either in their own room or in the living room. And if they did leave the room, I would have seen them because our bedroom is right next to the living room and kitchen. I got so scared. I started yelling at my husband to unlock the door. And he did. We went to check on the baby and she was still sleeping peacefully. My husband and I both came out of the room quietly. We both sat together in the living room. And remember how I said I was a happy mama, that the house was clean? Well, as we both walked into the living room, the baby bottle brush happened to be laying on the floor in the living room. I got so scared, I told my husband that something didn't seem right, but I knew I had to be strong and played it off. Another late midnight, probably around 1am, my daughter suddenly started crying really loud that my husband and I thought she was hurt somewhere. My husband took my daughter out to the living room to calm her down, and as I looked at my phone to see what time it was, I fell right back asleep. I had a scary, scary dream. I saw that I was sitting in our living room, and my mother-in-law was standing in front of the TV, pointing to the corner next to me. She shouted, Go away! This voice growled so loud, like, Good lord, it sounded so demonic. I woke up right then and there, and my ears were burning. I looked at my phone again to see what time it was, and it was less than 10 minutes since I last looked at my phone earlier, before falling asleep. I got so scared I rushed out of the bedroom and told my husband that we can't stay here anymore. My husband looked at me and said, I believe you. Thankfully, we moved out of Marysville. My husband did say that there were a lot of weird things going on in his family's house, but because they're so used to it, they would never leave that house. But the folks that are familiar with Marysville might know what I'm talking about. Story 5 this current encounter has been happening to my 17-year-old son 
he has three ghosts that have been bothering him for the past three years or so. They talk every night and mumble so you can't understand what they're saying. They don't allow him to sleep. My son sleeps with music on with headphones so he can't hear them. His friends have stayed over and have seen the ghosts throw things around the room. They appear to be two little girls, one about three years old and the other one about six. They appear to be with an older man and it might be their grandfather. He walks hunched over. They look like they're Native Americans and we live very close to a hacienda, a California landmark. One of my son's friends saw the ghosts very clearly and they look like they have severe head wounds and died of a very violent death. They turn on and off the lights, turn off TVs, pull out nightlights, and so forth. When my son and his friends stay over for the night, the spirits have played religious music and then they began to scream and yell even louder and louder. It is quite scary for my son and his friends. I have touched his wall from the bathroom when these encounters have happened and it seems to vibrate with life. We have tried to bring in a Catholic priest, but it only stops for a few days and then it all starts all over again. My son has no peace and quiet in his room at night and we would like to contact the Gabrielino Indian community who would come to the house to help us find peace for this spirit of American Indian spirit family. The ghosts have not harmed us in any way, but the noises are really bothersome for my son. Does anyone else have any idea on what we should do? Story 6 I have three encounters I'd like to share. First one, if you grew up in these apartments in California back in the 1990s, then you most likely know this apartment. It's called Gateway Apartments. I'm not sure if it's still called that, but I remember the very first time that I saw an entity. I was sitting in the living room watching TV when all of a sudden it appeared right in front of me in a long outfit with long black messy hair and a long tongue. It was sitting in front of me laughing and sticking out its long tongue. I was really scared so I rubbed my eyes and it disappeared. Then shortly afterwards my older siblings started seeing other stuff too. So we moved downstairs to a different unit. Second one, I hate this old house the most. Till this day, I still have nightmares about it. Even my siblings do too. It was a very large two-story house with six bedrooms, three bathrooms, a dining room, living room, kitchen, storage, and so forth. There were two sets of stairs, one in the front near the entrance door and one in the back near the storage room that leads to the kitchen. We moved there in the early 2000s. 
I remember the first night. I could not sleep. It was summer, and if you lived in California, you know the heat in the summer is pretty hot. But that night was cold. I remember my siblings and I all slept downstairs the first night because we were all afraid. It was our first big place. I am a light sleeper and usually can't sleep much. I remember the first night I slept in the living room and all of a sudden I heard something. I looked towards the family room and there she was, a very old white lady. Her hair was white and she wore a long black dress. Her skin was pale white and super wrinkly. She was kind of hunched over, but she wasn't skinny. Her eyes widened as she saw me looking at her. She stared for a few good seconds and then turned away and started walking towards the kitchen. And then, just like how she appeared, she disappeared into thin air. A lot of other stuff happened, but that one was one of the most clearest that I remembered in that house. Third Encounter We had moved from the big house back to a small apartment. I had two bedrooms, very small and stuffy because it was one of those apartments that was underground. My younger sisters and I slept in the living room because it was pretty crowded, as I do have a big family. I remember the first few weeks. I kept waking up to exactly 3am. Then one night, I heard the fridge making a clicking noise, so I opened my eyes. I looked towards the fridge and saw a lady floating. Her eyes were white and she had very long hair. She wore a long dress. She opened her mouth, and right then I shut my eyes. Then I can't remember if it was the next night or a few nights afterwards, but I remember this particular night, and it was one of the nights that freaked me out the most. I woke up at 3am and looked to my left. I saw someone sleeping next to me. Without thinking much, I thought, when the heck did my little sister move to my left? Usually my sister always uses a blanket, even when it's hot as heck. But this thing that I thought was my sister was laying in a curled up position with long black hair. I was too tired so I thought, oh well. Then, about an hour or so, I woke up again and I saw my sister sleeping to my right. I got up and used my phone as a flashlight, and to look at my left, nothing. I shook my sister and asked if she moved to my right, and she said no. I freaked out and called my parents' cell phone and woke them up. Then a couple of weeks later, my dad had the church members come pray, and my dad revealed that there was a Hmong lady who passed away in our apartment. He didn't want to tell any of us, but didn't expect me or anyone to see anything. After the church people came to pray, I stopped seeing things in the apartment. There are more things I've encountered throughout the years, but these three incidences are what I remember 
vividly. Story 7 I had been hearing so many stories about this place called the Enchanted Forest in Pasadena, or around that area. Most of my friends have been there, some saying that they saw people with chains around them or headless apparitions floating around, and others have said that they haven't seen anything. I also heard stories about hot spots in the forest where you would feel like you're being burned. So one night, after going out to a birthday dinner with five of my female friends, Joy, Janae, Andrea, Monica, and Jay, I started telling them about the forest. When we got to Joy's house, I was trying to figure out where this place was when her brother overheard us talking about the forest. And he said that he's been there and saw a headless woman. He gave us the directions to the place, and we soon headed off around 11 p.m. When we got to the forest, there was no one there except three other people, and the place was extremely dark. The only light was coming from the moon. We were all very hesitant about going in because of all the stories that we have heard, so we decided to hold hands while going in, and we promised each other not to let go, no matter what. So we headed into the forest, and I honestly don't know why, but I started laughing out of nowhere. I couldn't control it at all, and everyone started getting angry at me, and asking why on earth I was laughing. So we continued to walk, and I was trying to control my laughter, when Jay, all of a sudden, lets go of Andrea's hand and stops walking. She said she saw something dwarf-like cross the path and we figured it was probably an animal. But then we all got quiet. What looked like two red orbs in front of us. Joy lets go of Janae's hand and was the first to start running. We all then started running and I tell ya, I have never ran that fast in my life. While we were running, there was something definitely chasing us, because you could hear it loud and clear, and also felt like it was getting closer. I turned back to see how close it was getting, but when I looked back, there was nothing there. But at the same time, I could hear and feel it there. I turned around, and as we were running, Joy, who was ahead of us, tripped, fell, and rolled onto the ground. But... She didn't trip on something. It was as if someone tripped her, and we all saw it. It was as if someone put out their foot and tripped her, but nothing was there. Janae helped her up, and we continued out the forest. Only Andrea and I heard that scream. We passed the three people that we saw when we first arrived, and it looked like their flashlight was turning on and off, and they were just looking at it and shocked. We hurried back into the car and headed back to Joy's house. We were quiet for a while. Then, Joy started telling us that she swears something tripped her, and we said we know because we saw her tripped, and it looked like something did trip her. 
I'm not sure what on earth happened, but I'm sure of one thing. Something was definitely chasing us. The only question is, what was it? Story 8 I used to drive along Highway 99 between Fresno and Chico for work. Sometimes, I would have to drive to San Francisco and between the cities and would have to take Highway 132 through Modesto. This highway only had two lanes going each way. This is my story and I remember it well. It was summer and the days were long and it was pretty hot. My work van didn't have the best AC, so in the summer I would drive at night with the windows down. My job required me to drive late sometimes, picking up medical supplies from various hospitals up and down California. The beauty of this job was that I could schedule my own pickup sometimes. Due to the heat, I would choose to drive later at night on long trips and return in the morning. This particular trip had me starting in Fresno, stopping at UCSF in San Francisco, and then dropping supplies off in Chico before returning home. So I left at 7 p.m. that night. There was nothing special, no omen, nothing about that night would make it memorable. I grabbed Starbucks on the way out of Fresno so I could be well awake for the drive. I also had friends scattered throughout the area, so I stopped in Modesto to grab a bite with a friend before continuing to the Bay Area. As I wasn't watching the time, we ended up hanging to 11pm before I realized I had to hit the road to San Francisco. Modesto is about an hour and 45 minutes away from SF with good traffic, so I thought, no sweat. So this is a quick setup of my van that I drove. It's a utility type work van that didn't have windows in the back. So at night, it's pitch black back there. The windows were the only source of any light coming into the van. Now back to the story. I headed west on 132. There were not a lot of cars driving during this time. Every 10 minutes or so, I would see a car coming from the other direction. There is a section on this highway that runs next to a small river and is heavily wooded by California standards. So as I was approaching this area, which had no lights, I can see a faint silhouette of a person walking on the shoulder of the other side of the road. As I got closer, she looked like she was middle-aged and was walking in the same direction as I was driving. I thought it was weird at first, but nothing more. And as I drove past her, I looked into my rear view mirror, just out of curiosity to see her face. Although I can see her face, I couldn't really see much because she was sort of walking with her face down and her long black hair was covering her eyes. She was wearing jeans and a red t-shirt. I shifted my eyes to the road in front of me and then looked back in the mirror. 
but she was gone. I thought to myself, maybe she was probably fishing like everyone else around here and walked down to the river. I drove on. At this point, I was thinking about who she was as I continued driving. Then, about five minutes later, I look in front and I could see that there was someone else on the road, but this time, they were on the shoulder of my side. I wasn't scared yet, thought to myself. Lots of people with broken cars tonight. As I got closer, I could see that it was a woman in red shirt and jeans. The same woman that I had seen earlier. My heart started pumping hard, and I was scared. I stepped on the gas and zoomed past this woman again, but didn't look back. I knew that there was nothing on this highway up until I got to the Bay Area, so there was nowhere I could stop if I wanted to. I kept my foot on the gas pedal and would take a glance in the rear view mirror every so often just to reassure that no one was there. I'm sweating at this point and opened the window to get fresh air in. My eyes were wide open and zeroed on the task of getting there as fast as possible. As I was approaching the turnoff point of the highway, I hear a voice that is distinct, and it says, I'm hungry. And I glanced in the rear view to momentarily look, and I noticed a shadow sitting in the dark. I know it's not possible, but this shadow was darker than the space behind my van. It was only for a split second, but I'm sure I saw someone there. I then see a 76 gas station, so I pulled over to open the back of my van. I hopped out and slid open the side door. There was no one there, but boxes of medical supplies. I continued to finish my deliveries that weekend, but couldn't sleep. Ever since then, I only travel that road if someone is with me. Story 9 My husband and I live with our children in the house that I grew up in. The house was built back in 1940s or 50s. I've lived in this house since I was 8 years old. The house has always had an awkward feeling to it. Some nights, the house is terrifying, and the other nights, it's calm. The first experience I had was one night my husband and I were sleeping. Now, I'm terrified of the dark, so I sleep with the TV on. But something woke me up. I was dead asleep, and for some reason, I look into the mirror that is attached to my headboard. I saw a small boy standing at the foot of my bed. He had a striped sweatshirt on. His hood was pulled over his head so just his face was showing. His arms were folded, and he was standing there, glaring at me. I couldn't make out any color. I just saw him in black and white, with the TV 
illuminating him. I was so horrified. I put my head back down again. I was too terrified to speak, and my husband was right next to me. I looked up again in the mirror, and there he was, still standing there, a little closer to me this time, just glaring at me. I sat up and turned around to face him, but when I tried to look at him directly, he wasn't there. I turned back to the mirror, and there he was again, but closer. I turned once more, and he was gone. The last time I looked in the mirror, he was standing right next to me by my bed. I screamed in horror. My husband jumped up. This time, I had the covers pulled over my head. I was screaming at my poor husband that there was somebody standing at the side of our bed. My husband told me there wasn't. I told him to look in the mirror on our headboard. He didn't say a word. He immediately turned on the light to our room. He insisted that he did not see the boy, but I know he did. One week later, he bought us a new bedroom set, one without a mirror as a headboard. The second experience I had was with my husband and I, with our kids. We moved into a new house a year after this experience. I instantly fell in love with this house. We moved in and everything seemed fine. But after the first week, I started to wake up every single night exactly at 2.22 a.m. After a while, I hated being in that house. You could hear someone walking up and down the hallways, always at night. Our daughter would hear knocking on her door and scraping noises coming from the hallway. One night, our neighbor came to our door around 2.25 a.m. asking if I was okay. I said, yes, why? He said that he saw me standing and looking through my bathroom window. I told him that it wasn't me and that my window was too high for me to reach, so it couldn't have been me. He was insisting that it was me that he saw. Needless to say, we only stayed in that house for a year. Right after we moved out of that house, I never woke up at that time again. Story 10 I've waited almost 30 years to tell this story. When I was 17, my girlfriend and I had trouble finding places to be intimate. It was about two weeks before Christmas in the agricultural areas of Central Valley in California. We were on a countryside road among many small farms and an almond orchard. It was near midnight, cold and a little foggy. We had pulled over on the side of the road in my 74 Grand Torino. We had consumed a six pack of Love and Broy, 
we were right in the middle of our little fun activity when she lets out a scream and pointed to the window on my side. About that time, I heard a knock on the window. A short little man stood there, in his 50s, I would guess. I cracked the window and asked what he wanted. He asked if we were okay, and I explained the situation to him, that we were fine and we just needed some alone time. I also noticed that he had a pistol in his holster on his belt. He said he lived in the house up on the hill, which was probably around 500 feet from where we sat. He asked if we would like to come in by the fire, get warm, and visit. He said he had some wine and we can get acquainted. My girlfriend objected immediately, but my sense of adventure won out and I convinced her we should go. The little man walked away and up to the house. We composed ourselves, and I emptied my ashtray into the paper bag containing the empty beer bottles. I also smoke Camel non-filters for almost 30 years now, and they're not really a popular cigarette. I handed the bag to her, and she set it out on the side of the road. We drove up the hill on a gravel driveway where there was a fairly large tree on the side and a small old farmhouse on the right. We went inside and the old man was very gracious, building a warm fire, pouring us homemade wine, asking us questions, and telling stories. I do recall asking about his accent and such, but he seemed to dance around the issue. He played some records that I can only describe as modern, top 40 type of music for that time, but also stuff I've never heard of before and never heard since. This was quite unusual since I was an active musician at that time, and I listened to everything. We had quite a nice time visiting and laughing with the charming stranger, and caught a pretty good buzz from his wine. We parted ways, thanked him for his hospitality, and I took her home about three or four miles away, and then I went home myself. Christmas came and went, and it was about a month later that I mentioned to her we should probably go see the old man and say hi to him. We drove and we drove, up and down the road, and for the life of me, I couldn't find that house. We tried a couple of different roads to no avail and went back to where I knew we had been. I found the hill and the large tree to the left of the driveway. But there was no driveway and no house. We parked on the road and walked up the hill where the house should have been. There was no trace of a house ever being there. Not a rock, a brick, a board, nothing. Nothing but grass and a big tree. We walked back down to the car, and before getting in, I walked down the road, the 500 feet to where we figured we were that night of our encounter. Sitting on the side of the road, in the weeds, was the paper bag containing the six empty 
Love and Broy beer bottles, and my Camel non-filter cigarette butts. Story 11 Trigger Warning This story involves mention of domestic abuse. Please skip to the next story at your own discretion. A part of my past that I would love to forget. Every time I eat now, I still feel chills through my spine when I think about it. At the time of the event, my daughter was four years old and I was seven months pregnant with my second child. On top of that, I just went through an abusive relationship. The thought of a single mother couldn't get any worse after I left my ex-husband. As I started a new life, I thought everything would fall into place again. Since I was a domestic abuse victim and low income at the time, Fresno Housing Authority got me a house. It was this little new home across the Edison Elementary School, and it was perfect for the three of us. One evening, while cooking dinner, I left my four-year-old outside by the playground with the neighborhood kids. There were several kids out there, and I just watched her through the screen door. Like many nights prior, when I got dinner ready, I yelled to my little Cynthia and Hong, Lopinama, come, let's eat, waving her in. Cynthia, who was always full of joy and happiness, ran towards me with a face full of smiles. But this time, as she got a few steps before the door, she froze in her steps. The smile on Cynthia's face was wiped off. She paused and stared right past me as she had seen something. Her face had turned into a troubled, confused look. I asked Cynthia what was wrong and got no response. Her lips just pucker and she appeared sad. I walked up to her and she hugged my leg and hid her pale face. I told Cynthia, Hun, Everything is okay, and held her hand. I walked Cynthia back to the house. As we walked in, Cynthia kept looking behind us. At that time, I thought she was sad because she still wanted to play with the other children at the playground. Inside, I told Cynthia to go sit at her chair, our little square dining table has three seats on the three sides. I got our food ready and handed Cynthia's little small bowl of rice with chicken. Cynthia stared at her food with a sad face. Cynthia did not want to eat at all. I asked Cynthia what was wrong, but she refused to say anything. Her lips were puckered out with her eyes heavy filled with teardrops just waiting to roll down her cheeks. I felt bad for not knowing what was wrong. I have my pregnancy occupying my mind, but Cynthia is my baby at the moment. She needed me, so I got up and held Cynthia in my arms. 
I asked Cynthia, What's wrong, honey? And her tears made a slow stream down her face. In my arms, Cynthia whispered, I need my daddy. At that point, I was sad. I was sad because I was married to an immature man who would not be around his two children due to his abusive behavior. I was sad that my children will have to grow up without their dad. All in all, I was heartbroken that I had to put my children in this position. I just hugged Cynthia and cried quietly inside. I told Cynthia that I would grab another plate of food and pretend it was for daddy. After that, Cynthia agreed to eat her food while gazing at the empty seat. After dinner, I cleaned up and threw the leftover food away in the trash. I went to tuck Cynthia into her bed. Cynthia usually sleeps in her own room, but for some reason, she was not comfortable that evening. I remembered asking Cynthia what was wrong. Cynthia said, I'm scared, mommy. I was confused and I asked, why? Cynthia then says, That's not daddy. I miss daddy. Me, being confused again, I asked, Who's not daddy, hun? Cynthia replies, The hungry grandpa at the kitchen. My heart just dropped and a cold chill went down my spine. I told Cynthia, Quit being silly. There's no one but us. As a cold chill filled the house. Then a loud crash came from the kitchen. Cynthia and I were both startled. I jumped up a little bit. I think my unborn son at the time was also startled. I remember him kicking inside of me. It sounded like something had tipped over. My heart began to beat extremely fast. I told Cynthia to stay put and that it's nothing, trying to be tough and shrugging it off, but in my mind, I was scared. I knew something wasn't right, but I had to be brave for my daughter. As I walked out of Cynthia's room towards the kitchen, Cynthia again says, Mommy, that's not daddy. In my mind, I just wanted to tell Cynthia to shut up and not remind me. I turned around and told Cynthia, It's nothing, with a fake smile on my face. I knew it's not her dad, but I just have to see what it was. I turned all the lights on as I approached the kitchen. My heart keeps pounding faster and faster, and my breathing becomes faster and louder as if I'm running out of breath. As I made my way into the dark kitchen, in the corner laid my flipped over trash bin. The trash was all over the floor between me and the wall that had the light switch. As I looked around in this semi-lighted kitchen room, I heard a munching noise to the right of me. I tried holding my breath 
to keep myself quiet. In my mind, I knew not to turn that way. But for whatever reason, I still turned to my right. There, my heart drops into pieces. Voice collapsed in a more terrified moment than any beating I have ever gotten from my ex-husband. I was staring at an older Hmong gentleman. His clothes torn and dirty, soiled in mud, him thin and hungry, his head full of gray hairs, his eyes very wide, and his pupils were so blackened that it stared right through me. His face was gray and blue in this semi-lighted area. He was crouching low with thin twigged fingers holding a half-eaten chicken wing that I had thrown in the trash earlier. I just stared speechless beyond words could ever described. I was so terrified that I started to have contractions. I didn't know if I pissed myself or if it was my water that broke as the fluids drizzled down my legs. I held my breath and backed away from the kitchen, telling myself it's not real. Once I was far enough away from the kitchen, I ran to my daughter and got her out the house. I ran to the house next door, who is a distant relative of my mom's. I cried to my neighbor and her husband. I told her what happened. They took me to the hospital. My neighbors were shamans, and they said that they would take care of whatever I saw in my house. After the trip to the ER and coming back home, I was told by my neighbors and parents that when I yell out, Lo, lo no mo, come, come eat, that this, this is an open invitation to anyone and everything out there. I was told to just call my daughter by name next time and only ask her to come home instead of having an open invitation. Story 12 As I was sleeping, I was suddenly awoken by my older brother, rushing back into the house by slamming the door. He yelled to my dad, There's a ghost in my car! As he was leaving for work, it was still dark outside. I fell back asleep because I had school in a few hours. 5.45pm My brother picks me up from school at R.T. Elliott Education Center. I asked, What happened this morning? What did you see? He replied, It's that girl again. She was sitting in the driver's seat. Her long black hair covered her face, but her hair slowly started to move away from her. And I saw her smiling evilly at me with her messed up face. I was so scared to drive to work, but I did anyways. My brother is a gangbanger and is a raging alcoholic. When he has a chance to drink, he'll drink all day. Bad spirits have always followed him 
especially this girl spirit, who always pops up randomly. He has said that she was created, or first came into his life, in the corner of his bedroom, and she never left. Story 13 Back in 2012, when my family lived in Southside Sacramento, at that time, my daughter was the age of 14, and one of my son was only one years old. My husband was never home, and we raised two dogs to guard our house. Again, it was the summer of 2012, and my daughter had gotten a summer job doing community service for minimum wage. Without knowing, I gave consent to signing her up for the night shift. A month flew by, and I had been dropping her off there at least four times already. Every night after work, she takes the bus home and arrives exactly at 12.15 a.m. The upcoming week, on a Friday evening, I did my normal mommy routine and took my daughter, along with my son, to drop her off at North Laguna Creek, where she was working. My boys and I headed straight home right after. Shortly two hours later, it hits 9.35 p.m. And as I was feeding the baby, the other one was in the living room, playing with his toys. I heard keys jingle and assumed that my husband had came home. Quickly I set the bowl of food down and walked out the kitchen, heading towards the front door. It wasn't my husband, but my daughter, who had opened the door. I asked her, why are you home so early? But she didn't respond. She then walks straight into the kitchen where the baby was still sitting on his booster seat, eating. I paused for a moment, wondering why she carried such a bad odor home with her. She never came home smelling this bad before. Maybe it's been rough. Probably why they allowed her to come home early. I quickly snapped out of it, remembering that she works at a park because she had to clean public restrooms. Maybe that explains her bad mood. I proceeded to follow her into the kitchen, but before I could step foot in, the baby lets out a very loud cry, as though he was frightened. I quickly rushed into the kitchen, thinking he probably tumbled down on his booster seat. My one-year-old was startled from that sound, so he came running towards me. When I reached the kitchen, my 14-year-old daughter was holding him. My one-year-old gazed into the room and immediately started to scream with tears coming down his cheeks. I took the baby from her and insisted that she go and wash herself while I put them to sleep. She stared at me and slowly walked away. About half an hour passed and the boys have already been asleep. On my way to let the dogs out, I noticed that the showers have been on way before 
I even finished pouring milk into both the bottles for the boys. Our dogs are housebroken, so nights when we be alone without my husband, we let them in to sleep in the living room. I walked towards my daughter's room and asked why she's taking so long in the showers. The dogs followed behind me. As I popped the door open, the smell was stronger than before. The dogs started barking and ran towards her bathroom. They jumped and scratched on the door while barking fiercely. The showers immediately turned off and she came out of her bathroom. She grinned at the dogs with her face and disgust. The dogs backed up yet continued to bark. I panicked and paced myself out of her room, realizing that I had fixed a dinner plate for her earlier. I sat in the kitchen to see if she would come out to eat. I turned off all the lights in the hallway, living room, and I just left the TV on. The dogs were both asleep by this time, but to prevent them from making any noises, I put muzzles on the both of them. For some reason, I just couldn't focus on my movie. I kept an ear and an eye out for the hallway. I felt very uneasy, so I turned off my TV and sat there quietly with the dogs laying by my feet. I didn't hear any footsteps approaching, but the dogs woke up and stared straight into the hallway. They both looked at me and made little whiny noises. I turned my head to look into the hallway as both the dogs sat up and were showing their teeth at this point. At that moment, I knew something was wrong. My daughter was scared of the dark and does not permit herself to eat after 10, and it was 11 p.m. now. I knew immediately that this smell and figure was not my daughter. I sat there in shock. It was as if though I was completely paralyzed. I grabbed the dogs by the collar and quickly stumbled into my room. I locked the door and ran straight to my husband's long knife. I sat there and thought to myself, do I just walk out there and stab her? Is, is this all a dream? No, it's not, I told myself. My daughter is still missing somewhere, and this thing is trying to act as her. It can't replace her. What will happen to the boys? Suddenly, I saw red. I busted my door and sprinted out the bedroom into the kitchen. The figure didn't look so much like my daughter now. She had hair down to her feet. Red and green sashes were loosely tied to her waist. The long, white, long dress that she wore had dirt and bloodstains all over it. And the damn smell just smelt so awful as if there were dead rats piled on each other. I was terrified, but somehow I had enough courage and I yelled at it. It didn't say anything back. It just started crying and laughing in the most horrifying way. <laughs> I told her to return the same way she came, 
and if she didn't leave, I'll split her in two. She reached to pull her hair back from her face, and all I saw were bloodshot eyes. I threw the mong knife right at her, attempting to gouge her face. She then let out a roar and ran. I picked up the knife and chased after her. As I was chasing her, I saw her vanish into thin air when she reached the front door where she entered. Again, I stood there by the front door, lost and horrified. The doorbell rung and my whole body twitched. I opened it and I was ready to start yelling, but when I opened the door, it was my daughter, tears and sweat dripping down my face. I scanned her from head to toe. She too looked at me up and down. Mommy, is, is everything okay? I pulled her to my chest and I was sobbing. The morning after, I contacted her manager and informed them that I was withdrawing my daughter. The week after, my husband had asked my father-in-law to come do a shaman ritual for my kids and I. When he finished performing the ritual, he informed us that this thing that I encountered that night was the ghost of a lady who drove into a pole right by the park. It is said that this entity had a miscarriage of a baby boy and was divorced by her husband. It was said that she roamed the park and saw my sons in the back seats that evening, right when I dropped off my daughter. The ghost claimed that she lost her child the same day that my son was born. When this ghost was alive, she was a divorcee, so she didn't really have much of a family. Therefore, she didn't have a dakwa, which basically is spirit guides, meaning that no family ritual was done for her when she died. Hence, when this entity died, her family or whoever dressed her up sloppily and just buried her as soon as possible. Thanks everyone for making it to the end of this episode. If you haven't, please check out my other state episodes. So those in California, thank you. And I appreciate every one of you. So if you have a story to tell, be sure to send it to my email below. Until then, see you in the next episode. Thanks.